All right, well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leaving Churchianity podcast, where we attempt to shed all of the baggage that Christianity has accumulated over the last 2,000 years to get down to just the simple truth of God's holy word. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a detour and talk about this doctrine that has become pretty popular of the pre-tribulation rapture, you know, this concept that Christians are going to be secretly snatched out of this world and given a free pass from what is coming on this earth in the future, which God calls a tribulation period, a period of up to seven years of testing and trial. And I want to give you some things to think about that you won't necessarily hear in most churches and some that you and some you will but it's not very mainstream. We're going to analyze this thing just simply against what the Bible says and see if it stands the test of scrutiny. So obviously everyone knows that Jesus promised that he would come back. He came the first time, turned the world upside down and changed it forever, really. And he promised that he would come back, but there's a lot of different beliefs as to when that's going to take place. Will it be before the tribulation? Will it be during the tribulation or will it be after the tribulation period. Many people like to say that, you know, the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour, right? When he's going to come back. But is that really what it says? No, it's not. If you look at the actual passage where Jesus is talking in the red letters of the Bible in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, it says of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Okay. But what is this talking about? If you look at the beginning of the verse, it starts with the word but. Okay, but is a conjunction. It joins two parts of a sentence together. If you look right before that, literally the sentence, or even half a sentence right before that, it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Well, what day? It's the day that heaven and earth pass away. This isn't talking about the day that Jesus comes back. That's a thousand year difference. If you know your eschatology or what happens at the end times, as the Bible says, he does come back and gather his people. Yes. And then there's a thousand year reign of peace on the earth. And after that, Satan is released for a little time. To deceive the nations, he goes out and does that. There's another battle, and then you stand before the judgment. Okay, that's how the story sort of comes to its climax. And after the judgment is when heaven and earth pass away. So that's what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about the day that Jesus comes back to gather his people. All right, so does the Bible actually talk about a quote-unquote rapture? Yes, I mean, the term rapture is not in the Bible. That's something that came from the Latin, but the concept is there. Okay, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that the Lord himself, that being the Messiah, the Son of God, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, you see the dead rising from the graves. Then all who are alive and remain at that time shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's what the passage says. 
And that word rapture comes from that term caught up in the English. It's uh, rep here in the, in the Latin where we get our term rapture from. So the concept is there. Yes. But when does it happen? It's very interesting to know that even though so much of Christianity has bought into this concept that the rapture or the snatching away happens before the tribulation, okay, that's a new thing. But most people don't realize it. You don't read that at the apostles talking about it in their early writings or in the early writings of the church fathers or for the last 1,800 years. Most people haven't really looked into it and studied it out and found that, hey, this all came about, really became, I guess, built and mainstream in the late 1800s, early 1900s. It goes back to the 1830s with a dream that a young woman had named Margaret MacDonald. Okay, she lived from like 1815 to 1840 over in Glasgow, uh, Scotland. And she had, some say, a dream or some accounts is a series of visions that she shared with three men in her church. One of them was a preacher by the name of John Nelson Darby, and you may have heard of that name. This guy went on to create his, his own translation of the Bible where he did switch a lot of things to line up with his doctrine, much like the Jehovah's Witnesses have done with their New World translation. Well, he took this this dream that she had and really built the doctrine on it and made it popular. And he was friends with a guy named C.I. Schofield, who was writing a study Bible at the time over in England. And he, he further detailed out this belief system and put it into his study Bible, which came out, I believe, in 1905 and then was revised again in uh, 1915. Well, this study Bible became massively popular at the time and consequently this belief that he had put through the notes in much of this Bible indoctrinated the bulk of preachers who came out of theological schools because this study Bible was adopted by the theological schools at that time. And this is well documented in history. So obviously you learn about it in school or in uh, seminary. You go out, you preach it. It's, it's understandable how it will spread through Christianity. And it, it grew in popularity very fast because, let's be honest, I mean, it sounds really good. It really tickles the ears. It, it really, I guess, it, it got catapulted more mainstream in 1995 when Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins came out with that book series that you've probably heard about called the Left Behind series, where it talks about what it will be like if you miss this so-called secret rapture and you're left here, that you didn't make it. When Jesus came back to take his people to heaven. It's a very scary story. And then it was made into uh, a movie series as well. And that did very well. Well, that really cemented it into the mainstream mind of Christianity and made it really popular. And it's understandable. It's understandable. And I say all that to, to give you a little overview of the origin and the history and, and the spreading of this doctrine. To let you know that this doctrine of a, as some people call it, a secret rapture that happens before the tribulation is it's a relatively new doctrine or belief. This belief was not out there circulating around Christianity for the first 1800 years after Christ. Okay. You don't, you don't read about it in those early writings because it wasn't a thing, but now that it's out there, 
it has burrowed in very deeply into the lexicon of Christianity, into our way of thinking and our way of seeing the scripture and understanding it. And consequently, it has affected a lot of major doctrines that are out there. And I want to bring those to your attention so you can analyze those a little bit and test that. Really test the doctrines that we've inherited that are sort of the foundational pillars of our faith and what we think our identity is about going to heaven and what happens after we die and all that. It's a very important doctrine to talk about and analyze because it's not harmless. It is not a harmless doctrine. It's not like, oh, well, you know, you can be wrong about this and it doesn't affect um, anything else like, you know, the important things like your salvation. No, it's very much interwoven with salvation and the gospel message. At its core, it actually teaches a false gospel message that stands really strongly opposed to the message that Jesus preached, that the apostles went around preaching, that the apostle Paul went around preaching. It it alters and corrupts our understanding of our identity of Christ, as in Christ, I should say, as a believer, who we are in him and our destiny, what happens after life. And more importantly, it corrupts the gospel message of how we are commanded to live our lives here on earth how to live out our faith. So as far as our identity, in order for this doctrine to be true, it demands that the ident- our identity in Christ be altered and a different lifestyle substituted in than what Jesus actually preached. It demands that the one body of Christ, you know, made up of all the believers from all of recorded history, be divided up into two bodies instead of one, even though the Bible says we're all one in Christ. So they want to make it two, one being Israel and the other they're calling the church. Okay. But both are called to a different standard of living and both are called to believe gospel messages in order to be saved and inherit eternal life. Yes, you did hear that true. That is exactly what it is. When you look into this doctrine, it doesn't just preach two different gospels. It preaches many different gospels to many groups of people, many different ways to inherit eternal life. Okay. The supposed church is to simply believe that Jesus is the son of God, while Israel is to believe that Well, they're to believe in Jesus, yes, but they're to obey the law of God as given to Moses in order to earn salvation. So it mixes the two of them. And many who hold this doctrine teach up to seven different gospels or, you know, ways to gain eternal life. And you can, you can read four of them, if memory serves correct, um, in Schofield's study Bible, he has the study notes at the bottom. You just look at his note on Revelation 14, 6 on the eternal gospel. And he talks about at least four right there and more gospels throughout the Bible in other study notes. Well, I mean, that's just nonsense because the Bible is very clear in Hebrews chapter four. It says for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them back at Mount Sinai. 
So the writer of the book of Hebrews, after Jesus was already here, after he lived and died and ascended to heaven, upwards of 30 to 60 years later, the writer of this book is saying, look, the, the same gospel that's been preached to us is the same one that was preached to them back at Mount Sinai, but it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. They didn't believe it. They disobeyed God. And so consequently, they didn't make it into the promised land. And there are examples. So the Bible is crystal clear. It's one gospel. It's never changed. And most people don't realize that and don't ever wrestle with that truth. Also, does the Bible really teach that the, the quote, church, if you want to use that word, is separate from Israel? Does it? Because that is a... It, is really the main doctrine that separates Christianity. Well, let me point your attention to a verse in the book of Acts that just knocks this out of the park. In chapter 7, verse 38, it says, This is he. Well, let's just back up one. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you are to listen to, to hear and obey prophesying about Jesus who was to come. This is he, the Bible says, who was in the church in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the ones who received the lively or living oracles to give unto us. So right there, upwards of 30 years after Jesus had already ascended to heaven, Luke writes in the book of Acts that this is he who was in the church, ecclesia in the Greek, back in the wilderness. He says that the church was back in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. But the majority of Christianity today, the modern version that we have, teaches that, no, 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 the church was instituted, created, and started in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the church was way back in Mount Sinai when the law was given. Given to who? Well, given to Israel and all those who were there. There was other people there from Gentile nations as well. But the point is, you cannot say that the church is separate from Israel and the church started in Acts chapter 2. You cannot. The Bible says the direct opposite. The Bible goes on to say there is neither Jew nor Gentile, right? But all are one in Christ. How clear is that? I mean, that message is crystal clear. So you can't say, oh, well, I, you know, I'm part of the church and you're part of Israel. And we have two different messages and two different gospels. That's not what it says. I'll give you more scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh... Okay, so it's talking to the Gentiles, not to Israel, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision. Uh, that's obviously talking about the Jews. The Jews call Gentiles uncircumcised, filthy people. Made in the flesh by hands that at that time, what time? The time when you were Gentiles without Christ, you were without Christ being aliens from the citizenship or commonwealth of Israel. So yes, there was a time before Christ, when you were not part of Israel, and it goes on, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. Awesome. So you were out of the family. You were not part of the covenants of promise. You had no hope of salvation. But now in Christ, you have hope of that. You were once not Israel, but you look down at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How clear is that? You were once Gentiles in the flesh, not part of citizenship in Israel or of Israel, but now through Christ, you've become a partaker of the promises and the salvation, and you have gained citizenship in Israel. Israel is a spiritual term. We're not talking about just, oh, ethnic. No, no, no. You're not ethnic Israelites. Okay. This is a spiritual term. This is the term that God uses as a name for his body of believers. And it doesn't include all ethnic Israels. You look in uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 5, it says, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. If you get that spiritual principle. Look, if you're in Christ, if you've obeyed the gospel, if you've received the seed of eternal life, the Holy Spirit in you, you are part of the body, the one body of Christ also called Israel. Some people call it spiritual Israel. So we got to get that straight. But if you embrace this pre-tribulation rapture doctrine, it cannot stand if Israel and the church are one. It can't stand. It absolutely crumbles. But we see from scripture, look, when you're in Christ, there's no such thing as Jew or Gentile, Israel, bond, free, man, woman. No, we're all one in Christ. So that's one lie right there. There's also a destination lie in this doctrine. This doctrine also gets, it gets pretty weird when it talks about our destination. It says that Israel and the church end up in separate destinies or destinations. It goes on to say that the church marries Jesus, right? They're the bride of Christ and they get to live in heaven for eternity and but Israel, they marry God the Father, and they live forever here on earth, albeit on a, a recreated new earth, but they live here on earth. Well, that's craziness. That's confusion. That's not what the Bible says. You don't have one body living in two different places, married to two different people. That's, that's ludicrous. This belief system has morphed into many many different versions over the years, but the fullest, most detailed explanation of it can be found in the, the book called Dispensational Truth by Clarence Larkin. Now, I'm not recommending that you go out and buy it, that you read it, because it's very confusing, it's very convoluted, and it can really mess with your head and how you see the scripture. I'm just putting it out there for those who want to see just how far this craziness goes simply to avoid association with Israel or God's chosen people and to avoid having to experience the tribulation. That's really what it's all about. I mean, you're talking about a seven-year period. It's a small period, but we're going to build a doctrine that demolishes so many core parts of true faith and the true gospel just so that we can avoid that. I mean, come on. God says it's coming on earth to purify people's faith and to divide the sheep from the goats. And Jesus said, it, it, look, it's going to happen. 
and that the tares are going to be taken first. And the tares are those against God. But Jesus said they're going to be taken out first before the wheat or God's people are taken out. But the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine says, no, Jesus, you're not right. What you just said is false. And people, people still don't, they don't want that to be true. So they, they embrace this man-made doctrine with really, an, it's an affront to the Messiah. It's calling him a liar if you really think about it. I mean, think about it. Jesus says one thing, you're going to say, no, it's the direct opposite. Where's the reverence in that? It, it's saying that Jesus was wrong about it, about the future. He's wrong about our destiny. He's wrong about the benefits of those who have put their faith and trust in the finished work of the Messiah, all in an effort to institute and, and reinforce a gospel that doesn't demand anything from us. But it gives us a free ticket out of this brief period of hard times that's coming. Think about it. It's, it's really sad. And it really, it reeks of man's nature, doesn't it? To alter everything just to suit our selfish desires. I mean, that reeks of having man's influence on it and changing it. So this, this whole concept of dispensationalism, it's got to go. It's got to go. It's an error. It's false teaching. Dispensationalism, for many that don't know, it, it's made up of seven different periods of time, each like basically a thousand years, where God dealt with mankind differently. And each one of them has a different gospel. It's got a different message or method of how to receive eternal life and to be right with God which is just crazy in light of Hebrews chapter four that we just read that literally says the gospel has never changed. And in light of the hard fact that Jesus and his, his apostles and Paul all went out preaching the same gospel, but so much of Christianity goes around today, modern version of Christianity, <clears throat> not the older version, but the modern version goes around saying, well, Jesus preached one gospel. And that gospel was different than that in the Old Testament. And the apostles and the apostle Paul went around preaching a completely different gospel. That's not true. Everyone wants to say, well, the gospel is simply the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's it. That's all it is. And they get it from uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Okay, that's not the whole gospel. I mean, think about this. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sent the apostles out to preach the gospel of the coming kingdom. Repent and believe the gospel of the coming kingdom. And they went out and they preached the gospel, the Bible says. But then you get a couple of years later, when you get to the crucifixion time, the disciples didn't even know that Jesus was going to be crucified. They had no idea. So if the gospel was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that's it, how did they go preaching the gospel when they didn't know that part of the message? No, 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 this, this, this is not true. Okay. This, this has to go. This concept of dispensationalism and a lot of people preach, well, you know, Paul preached a different message. He didn't preach that, uh, that people had to repent and he didn't preach, you know, repent and believe the gospel of the coming kingdom, which is what Jesus preached. Oh, okay. Yes, he did. And I'm going to read it to you right now. In Acts chapter 28, it says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, 
and received everyone who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding to him. Well, how did he do it? In verse 23, it says, he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Okay, so he preached the same Bible that Jesus preached, and he preached the same message that people that Jesus preached. And if you look at chapter 20 and verse 21, Paul himself says, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. Okay, we just saw that, him preaching in the houses. Testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks or Gentiles, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you can see they preach the same thing. Paul went around preaching repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. So if people have taught you that Paul preached a different message than Jesus, that's not true. They preach the exact same thing. And you know that's true because it lines up perfectly with Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. So this whole concept of dispensationalism crumbles under scrutiny. It absolutely twists up and destroys the unity of Scripture. And it preaches false gospel messages. That's why this is so important. It's kind of like purgatory in Catholicism, if you think about it. Catholicism cannot stand without the concept of purgatory. It's what holds the whole thing together. Once it's shown that purgatory is not in the Bible, it was never taught, it was made up by the Pope, that it's a lie, and that it was made up by the Pope system to establish and enforce control over people. And really, the it became the pinnacle source of income for the Catholic Church because they sell forgiveness. You can now buy forgiveness. It doesn't require anything from your soul. You can buy it. And what's even better is you can buy it for other people, for loved ones who have died. Okay, Once you realize that that's all a scam, the whole system of Catholic belief crumbles to the ground in a huge cloud of dust. It really does. That is like the one cotter pin that you can yank out and the whole thing crumbles. It's kind of like that with dispensationalism in Christianity. Now, the message of the Bible is absolutely true and has been proven, proven true. But modern Christianity has changed over the years and started preaching false gospels and built up this system that all stands on this pillar of dispensationalism. And when that gets knocked out, much of the system crumbles to the ground. So understanding the errors and fallacies in this pre-tribulation rapture doctrine is really, it's one of the major keys to unlocking the scripture. It, it really is. I was raised in this belief system, system ever since I was a kid. It was taught me in college. It was taught to me in seminary. But I see now how this, this one belief, this really lie and deception from Satan was the one thing all those years that was keeping me bound in confusion in my beliefs and was really uh, shutting up the scripture to me from being able to be understood. I'm constantly seeking and never able to find the truth because the dots simply will not connect. 
if you believe in this pre-tribulation rapture and dispensational theology. The dots simply will not connect. It was keeping me from understanding my identity. That was huge for me. And from understanding my purpose and from really understanding the true gospel. It was like a veil over my eyes. But through a lot of prayer, once God finally removed it, oh my goodness, you can see the scripture so much more clearly. Finally being able to see that the whole Bible fits together seamlessly. It really does. And it's not even that difficult. But over time, man has made it more difficult. And that's the main reason for this podcast. The whole thing, every episode, it's meant to get rid of that confusion and make it clear and show, yeah, this book really is from God. It really is proven true over and over and over again, over thousands of years. It continues to be, but you got to get rid of the accumulated baggage that we've inherited. And there's a lot of famous rapture teachers out there these days. There's a lot of uh, online influencers as well, sort of build their whole, their whole thing on it. Like Brian Denlinger on YouTube, the famous preacher, John MacArthur, he's huge into this. His influence is probably the biggest. You have other preachers like Robert Breaker who take this doctrine to real extremes. And there's a lot of major influencers and preachers that have made this doctrine even stronger in these years because it's so interesting to sit and speculate, well, when is Jesus coming back? Are we really going to be raptured out of here and get a free pass? That sounds awesome. Well, the Bible says exactly when Jesus is going to come back, what the, what the exact signs are. But a lot of people don't want to, don't want to believe that. So what are some of the ways that this doctrine in the modern message of Christianity opposes what the Bible really says? Okay. Well, for starters, the church today says the goal of salvation is to escape here and to go to where God is in heaven, right? But the Bible says the goal of salvation is to be holy and that God will dwell here among his people and influence others here on this earth. Modern Christianity will say the kingdom of heaven is heaven and it's not on earth. But the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is God's reign among his people here on earth. The church today, at least a lot of it, will say Messiah is coming to take us away, right? That's the whole pre-tribulation rapture doctrine. But the Bible says the Messiah is coming to reign over us here on earth. Like Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth, not heaven. The church today says, get your, your ticket right now, as soon as you can, or you know, you'll miss the train. That's the whole uh, Left Behind series. You don't want to miss the train. But the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth here. Get ready to see the king. He's coming here. The kingdom of heaven is God's reign among his people here on earth. Just like Jesus says, the meek shall inherit the earth. If you read Psalm 37, says over and over and over again, the destiny is here. The destiny is earth. 
he's going to come here and remake earth and heaven is going to be here on earth. The kingdom is going to be here on earth. But this pre-tribulation rapture doctrine swoops in, puts fear in everyone's mind. Now, there should be fear of not being right with God, not getting right with him here in this life. You only have one life to get this right. But you got to get the message right. This was happening in the Apostle Paul's time in First or Second Thessalonians. Someone had written to them and say, hey, "You guys, you guys already missed this thing." But in chapter two, it says, "Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, which is exactly what happens in the rapture. Remember, He comes down in the clouds. There's a great sound of a trumpet. All of His people are gathered together to meet Him in the clouds. All those who are dead in Christ." rise first and we all meet together in the clouds, right? The Lord comes back and we gather unto him. He goes on to say, we ask you, do not be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter. You know, as these people were writing false letters claiming to be from Paul. As if from us, he says, there it is, as though the day of Christ had come already. It hasn't come yet. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day? The day when Christ comes back and gathers his people unto him. That day will not come unless two things happen first, it says. Number one, the apostasy or the falling away comes first. And number two, the man of sin or the antichrist, the son of perdition is revealed, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or worshiped. And he sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So those two things have to happen first. Well, if you ask anyone who deals with these end time doctrines, the Antichrist isn't revealed until the halfway point through the tribulation. Three and a half years after the church, air quotes, is supposedly taken out of here and raptured. Well, Paul says right here, don't let anyone deceive you for that day when Christ comes back and we're gathered unto him in the clouds, it will not happen until first of all, there's a massive falling away from the faith. And then number two, the antichrist is revealed openly. So we know that this has to happen after that. So there's your proof right there. When does the rapture actually take place? Do you want to know the actual answer? Because the Bible says when it is, Jesus says in red letters in the book of Matthew, it's not going to be a secret thing. Everyone on earth is going to see it like lightning that shoots across the entire sky. Everyone's going to see it. All eyes will see this. In Matthew 24, 27 says, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the son of man be. Listen to this immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other, from the farthest part of heaven to the farthest part of earth. There it is. Jesus comes in the clouds, great sound of a trumpet, and gathers all of his people. 
And when does it say it happens? Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Could it possibly be any clearer? No, it can't. You cannot, with a straight face, scripturally say, well, the, the rapture is going to happen. He's going to come in the clouds and gather all of his people before the tribulation. Well, a lot of people want to <laughs> want to point to Revelation chapter 4 and say, well, this is when the rapture happens, where it says uh, in, in verse 1, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing in heaven and the voice, the first voice was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the spirit and I beheld a throne in heaven. Okay. So the whole pre-tribulation rapture people want to say, see, John is a picture of the church and he hears the sound of a trumpet and all of a sudden he's in heaven. And then for the majority of the rest of the book of Revelation, you never see the word church again. You see how that you see how all those doctrines are woven in there? Well, we already know Israel and the church are not separate. It's the same entity. It's the same body of Christ. So they want to put a pre-trib rapture doctrine in the white spaces here between verse 1 and verse 2 when it doesn't say that. And Jesus himself, the son of God, already said, look, the event when this is going to happen, by the way, Jesus was answering his disciples who asked him point blank in Matthew 24, Lord, what is this? What will be the signs of the time? What will be happening on the earth when you come back? The first thing out of his mouth, let no man deceive you by any means. And he goes on to tell them everything that's going to happen on the earth. And then when he comes back. So these pre-trib rapture people are actually saying that the Messiah, the son of God himself, Mm, he's wrong. He's not telling the truth. They'll say, oh, well, he, he was talking to the Jews. And we know that the Jews are going to be left here for the tribulation period. But we, you know, we special people, the church, we're going to get raptured out. Why? Uh, because we're not the Jews and we're special. Oh, there's a reason. No, that's not what the Bible says. When he comes back in the clouds... Paul says the first resurrection happens. All of the dead in Christ are, ro are risen from the dead, right? And they meet the Lord in the air. And all of those who are currently alive, who are in Christ, the saved people, we all meet him in the clouds, right? This is the first resurrection. That's the sign. Well, when do we see that happen in the book of Revelation? We see it in chapter 20, not in chapter four. We see it in chapter 20 at the very end. In verse five, it says, the rest of the dead did not live again till a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. And they will be priests of Christ and of God and shall reign with him for a thousand years. This happens five verses after the tribulation after Satan loses his battle and is thrown into hell and bound for a thousand years. That's when this happened. It literally says this right here is the first resurrection. This is the rapture. This is when it actually happens. So anyone who tells you different, they're lying to you, whether they know it or not. They may just be regurgitating what they were taught and what they firmly believe. Okay, that's understandable. You got to test these things out. The Bible says crystal clear when it's going to happen. 
Well, but people say, you know, oh, well, you know, no man knows the day or the hour. We already showed that that passage is not talking about the day when Jesus comes back. But the Bible actually says you will know. Right after the rapture passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says the Lord himself will descend from, a, from heaven with a trumpet and the sound of an angel and all this, and we're gathered together into him. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, okay, talking to save people, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Oh, see, there it is. It comes as a thief in the night. Yes, it does. But to who? Read on. For when they, not the brethren, but when those in the world, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Not us, them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that that day should overtake you as a thief. You see that? So if you stop reading before, when it says he comes as a thief in the night, or no man knows the day or the hour, okay, yeah, you can twist that and apply it to when Jesus comes back. But the Bible goes on to say, if you just keep reading and be diligent, it says, but you, brethren, you're not in darkness so that that day should overcome you, but you shall see the signs. You will know these things. You are all sons of light and sons of the day, and we are not in the night. We are not of darkness. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And it goes on to say to be diligent in these things and to comfort one another and edify these edify one another with these things because God in his holy word has already told us all of the signs to look for for when he comes back. So you can see that this pre-tribulation rapture doctrine is massively full of holes. It's like Swiss cheese. It's built on all these pillars that are not biblical, that absolutely crumble when you actually realize what the Bible says your identity is in Christ and what the layout or the game plan is. The Bible says he declares the end from the beginning. He tells all these things. It's, it, it goes on to say in Amos 3, 7, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets, first. He's already revealed everything that's going to happen. All you have to do is read it and believe. But why do so many people believe this, this dangerous doctrine today? I mean, the simple answer is, when asking why so many people and even educated church leaders believe this is they want to believe it. It's human nature to want to avoid persecution, to want to avoid war and sickness and beheadings and all of these testing things, even though it's God's MO to protect his people through the trials, not take them out of it. But it's human nature to say, well, I, I just, I have to, I have to avoid this at all costs. And if someone of supposed authority tells them, hey, you'll not, you'll, you won't have to go through this. As long as you believe, it's a message that will resonate with so many people. But if you really stop and think about it, it could develop false faith that has an entitled mentality, right? You feel entitled. 
It's a, it, it, it can develop a faith in people that's non-functioning faith. That's why the Bible says so many times over, don't be deceived. Don't be self-deceived. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourself, examine yourself to see if your faith is real and whether or not it can stand the test. Do you remember the parable of the soils that Jesus talked, talked about? The seed that's thrown on. You have the hard stony ground and you have the thorny ground and these four different grounds. And the heat and the trials rose up and choked them out and they died because the faith wasn't real. It looked real in a couple instances, but it wasn't real. See, it, this weakens people's faith. It can render them powerless victims because they'll not be prepared for what is coming on the world. And there's the great apostasy that Paul talked about. God says, prepare your faith to stand the test of anything that will come your way. He warns of what is coming and he tells you basically everything ahead of time in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation and the book of Zechariah and other, and other uh, Old Testament prophets. But the message today is, hey, don't worry. You're not going to be here for that. You get a free pass. Doesn't that sound more like the plan or the fingerprints of the devil that the devil's been working in this, trying to deceive people? I mean, why would we get a free pass from the refiner's fire? It's God's MO to take people through and to protect and to strengthen their faith. You take the flood. Okay, Noah and his family weren't raptured out. They remained in, a pl- in an earthbound place of safety. And those who he- they were those who heeded and obeyed his warnings, right? His commands. They did what he said. They built the ark that he said to build. And they were rescued through it. Just like Lot, was, Lot and his daughters were rescued through it. You take um, Israel in the Exodus, the great Exodus story. You know, they had to endure the first three plagues. Three out of 10, they had to endure, but then they were kept safe in the land of Goshen in an earthbound place of safety. They saw the plagues, but they weren't touched by the plagues. So I believe Satan is spreading the message of this free secret rapture thing to give people a false faith that makes them think they have a free pass. It's important to heed the Lord's many warnings and and get your faith ready, okay? And be like the five wise virgins instead of the five foolish virgins who stored up plenty of oil in their lamps and whose faith was ready and they stayed true. They stood the test and they persevered, unlike the five foolish virgins who were not ready. And if you believe the wrong message about these subjects, you'll you knowingly put yourself in prime position to fall away from him and apostatize, which is what we're warned about. Back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the great apostasy. Why do you think there's this massive falling away of people who claim to be Christians or followers of God, but they all fell away? Could it be because they were told that they'd get a free pass out of all this stuff that's going to happen? And when it doesn't happen, they lose their faith in their pastor and in the message of the Bible because their faith was in man. It wasn't in their own personal relationship with Christ. They thought they understood the Bible. They just went with what their pastor said. They're deceived and they lose their faith in God completely during this time. Well, what about when the Antichrist comes 
And his story is so convincing that you end up believing it because it lines up so well with the Jesus that you've been taught all these years. Remember, he comes back imitating the real Jesus, claiming to be him, but he's not. And he deceives the masses. Be very careful that you are testing everything and believing only the Son of God as revealed in Scripture. And you're walking out his faith. Remember Jesus' last words before he went to the cross. He said, many are going to come in my name, admitting, yep, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, confessing I really did come. But they're going to use that authority and they're going to go out and deceive the nations. They're not going to claim to be Christ. They're going to claim, yes, Christ was the Son of God. And we speak in his name. And they're going to go out and deceive the nations, preaching a false Jesus, a false message, a false gospel, a message of lawlessness. Beware that no one deceives you. That's, that's the main reason for this podcast. In every episode, we're talking about proving that the Bible is true, proven true by history over and over and over and over. It's really countless times. By history, what we see in this world, archaeology, the world that we observe around us, it all testifies to the truthfulness of Scripture. And on this podcast, we attempt to remove all of the lies about the true God by removing all this baggage and accumulated teaching, all this stuff that Christian, modern Christianity, at least, has accumulated over the last 2,000 years that have caused over 40,000 different denominations of supposed Christians many of who teach completely different messages. It's confusion. Satan has hidden the message like a needle in a haystack very successfully. That's what we want to remove. And this is just one of the topics. We want to get back to the simple, true message that the Bible preserves for us. So if that resonates with you, hey, stick around for the next episode where we will talk about the question of is Christianity really the true religion as opposed to all these other world religions? Religions, How can we know that this message of Jesus, Yeshua coming on this earth and everything that we did, how can we know that that's true and that there isn't other truth or the truth found in these other religions? How can we know that? We're going to think through that next time. So until then, I hope some of this helped you think through these things from a different angle, see scriptures that you've never seen before. And until then, may God richly bless you, and I hope to see you in the next episode.